0: Welcome back to Engaging History. This is Episode 7. The title of this one is The Continuing Campaigns of Alexander the Great. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individuals or organization. The podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I'll discuss. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. The purpose of the podcast in general is to discuss history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the world around you, but in a way that is understandable and interesting. So, the last podcast, Alexander essentially handed Darius, the king of Persia, his rear end. Despite the fact that Alexander was on enemy territory, he had a, was at a numerical disadvantage by two to one, Alexander still persevered. Again, if nothing more from the prior podcast, it's when Parmenio, Alexander's right-hand man, turned to Alexander and said, this battle plan you've designed is nothing like we've ever seen before. And again, Alexander's response, exactly. So with the Battle of the Granicus behind him, Alexander now was able to move ahead after his first decisive victory and seal up what is known as the Ionian coast. That's the modern-day coast of Turkey that borders the Aegean Sea. So for all intents and purposes, Alexander has fulfilled his father's goal of revenge against Persia. Essentially, he could stop. Clearly, Darius realized the Greek people was not a nation of people to mess with. And if Alexander was their leader, Greece was well protected. Darius learned his lesson. But Alexander didn't stop there. He doesn't earn the title Alexander the Great by simply stopping at the Granicus, wrapping things up, and going home. No, he's on to bigger and better things. And his first destination after he leaves the Granicus River area, is to put the entire army, his army, on rest and leave for, for a period of time. Not that they were going to leave Persia, but that they would essentially catch up on rest, eating and hydrating themselves, while Alexander, not to sit still, took off with Parmenio, again his right-hand man, and he headed directly east for a time which clearly was unsettling to Parmenio because that's heading right into the jaws of enemy territory. But Alexander wasn't pursuing Darius. He wasn't even pursuing the Persian army. He was going to an old city called Gordium. And Gordium is where he went. Once he found it, he wanted to go to the central part of the city, smaller city at this point, and be able to see where this, quote unquote, knot was. That's right, a knot, K-N-O-T. Parmenio has no clue what Alexander is talking about. Alexander is so excited to be able to pursue this that he is on the back of Bucephalus, riding Bucephalus almost as far and as fast as Bucephalus can carry him. Giving the time for the horse to rest and get rehydrated and feed him, Alexander would be back on the bu- uh, on the back of Bucephalus once again, off to Gordium, until finally he arrived. And it was there in the city that Alexander looked for what today we would call simply a bar or a tavern. And when Alexander arrived, he rushed through the front door of the establishment, goes right up to the bar as a man is getting out the equivalent of a mug to get something for, for the man to drink. And Alexander pushes the mug away and says, no, where's the knot? I want to see the knot. The bartender has no idea what he's talking about, looks over at Parmenio. At that point, Parmenio is probably thinking, whatever you've got that's the strongest back there, give it to me. If Alexander won't take it, I'll take it, because I have no idea what he's talking about either. But as the bartender began to shake his head and said, "I, I don't know what you're talking about, an elderly man leaning on a cane came out from the back room and excitedly asked, who is looking for the knot? And Alexander rushes over from in front of the bar to behind the bar and embraces the man's old hands and says, please, sir, if you know where it's at, show it to me. And the man smiled, an uncontrollable smile, and said, if you insist, follow me. With that, Alexander eagerly followed the old man. And he was led out to an area well behind the bar to an ox cart. Essentially looking like a regular it would look like a regular horse-drawn carriage, but without the top on it. And there at the axle and the handle, where they are tied together, was what became known as the Gordian knot. Legend had it that whoever settled or figured out the riddle of the Gordian knot would be considered to be the known next-known ruler of the known world. Alexander, you'd never guess where he studied something like this. Yep, you got it. Only under Aristotle. And Alexander, literally, as Parmenia would later write, his breath practically being taken away from Alexander, so excited to see that which he had only been able to study before and hear the legend about. So for the next several hours, Alexander looked at that knot As intently as any individual can look at anything, he looked at the knot from all angles. He got down on the ground and slid himself underneath the carriage to look up at the knot. He never touched it, though. He only looked at it from every possible conceivable angle. As the sun was beginning to set, everybody that had come out to see this little spectacle had either gone away or fallen fast asleep. Parmenio, was long asleep, not only being a few drinks in him at that point of alcohol, but also just being tired with this whole ordeal, simply fell asleep. But the old man, leaning against a tree, as well as his cane, never took his eyes off of Alexander. And Alexander, at one point, as the sun was just beginning now to dip below the horizon, shook his head, pulled out his sword, and shouted as he took the sword and cut the knot in half. But when he pulled out his sword, because of dry rot, the knot didn't move. Everybody at that point that was still there was awake, rushed over to look at what Alexander had done. The man was beside himself because Alexander had ruined the knot. He did not untie it or solve it. And Alexander slowly put his sword back in between the two halves of the knot. And with that, he wiggled the sword a little bit, and both sides of the knot made of ancient jute fell to the side and onto the ground. And Alexander, with the tip of his sword, pointed to the man, and then pointed to the knot, and essentially proved that the knot was unsalvable in the sense that it could not be untied. The reason being is that the ends to the rope that made the knot were tucked so far inside that no matter what part of the knot somebody pulled, they would never be able to untie it. Did Alexander solve the riddle of the Gordian knot or not? I leave you at your discretion to answer that one. But for all intents and purposes, to Alexander II of Macedon, he solved the riddle of the knot. Alexander the Great, in his own mind, was destined to be the future ruler of the then known world. Back onto the horse, back onto the back of Bucephalus. Alexander rode back to meet up his soldiers once again with Parmenio and tow. At this point, it was a year and a half later, around November 5th or 6, 330 BC. Excuse me, 333 BC. Alexander would find out that Darius had once again formulated an army that was able to stop Alexander from progressing any further into Persian territory at. You guessed it, another river system. In this case, the Isis River. And it would be there at the Gulf of Isis, at the Panaris River, where the two meet, that the Persians had their block formation once again. This time, however, Darius wasn't forming his soldiers the way he did at the Granicus River. He learned from Alexander. Alexander, at the Battle of the Granicus, if you recall from the prior podcast, had pulled off what becomes known as the right hook strategy. This time, all of Darius's infantry, that is foot soldiers, all of them were to the left, and a lot of them. His cavalry, all of them, would be at the right. Even Darius knew Sorry, Alexander, you're not going to pull that ace out of your sleeve twice. Last time you tried to hit me and you did successfully with the right hook, this time it's going to be the left hook, and I'm waiting for you. Yeah. Alexander studied Darius's forces on the other side of the river, and he was impressed. Darius was a quick read, a quick learn. But Alexander also noted something else that Parmenio pointed out. Alexander was no longer outnumbered two to one. This time, he was outnumbered three to one. Alexander did not have that even numerical disadvantage that he had at the Granicus River. It was far worse now. But then, when morning came the following day, Alexander noticed that Darius's soldiers largely didn't camp for the night the way Alexander's did. They were still standing in their block formation. Alexander wondered why Darius would have made that move. Why wouldn't he have allowed his soldiers to retire for the evening, especially the cavalry? Now they're fatigued. Alexander not only didn't understand that, he also didn't understand Darius himself. Because on the back of his own horse, Darius stood smack in the middle of his infantry. Folks, consider this. You have blocks of thousands of foot soldiers with their helmets on. And then here you have King Darius on horseback in the middle of these foot soldiers with his own helmet with the bright red feather plumes indicating who's the leader in charge here. Darius might as well put a target on his head or a blinking light if they had electricity in those days. Alexander quickly reworked his plans scrapped the old ones and gave it to Parmenio and said, get ready by noon, because that's the plan. Parmenio took a look at that plan and said, sir, please, it was bad enough, the fact that we locked out at the Granicus, but you really want me to just simply stand pat while you take off with a small group of infantry or cavalry and raid into the middle of the Persian infantry camps? You've got to be kidding. And Alexander said, let me guess, you'd never heard of that done before. And Parmenio was about to say, no, I haven't, when he caught himself and smiled gently at Alexander, who then smiled back and said, I'll see you on the other side of the victory line. At noon, Alexander was waiting for the call to battle, but it never came. By two or three o'clock that afternoon, Parmenio looked over at Alexander, shrugging as though, are we not going to fight today? At that point, Alexander had predicted Darius's nerves would get the best of him and would eventually make the cry for battle, and sure enough, he did. The Persians attempted to pour in through the center to the middle of Alexander's forces, where they simply sta- stood still and block formation with their spears out. The Persians, after attempting to move, found themselves essentially in a deadlocked position. The cavalry were crowded out by the infantry. At that point, Alexander grabbed a few of his cavalry soldiers and beelined it across the river, heading right for Darius. Darius, upon seeing Alexander's spear coming at him, immediately wheeled around on his horse and took off after the battlefield. Alexander stopped short as soon as he turned around and saw the actions that he was expecting or had predicted. The moment Darius left the battlefield the rest of the Persian forces fled for their lives. It was an out-and-out rout. This time, the casualties, however, on Alexander's side skyrocketed to 7,000 killed. However, on the Persian side, another 22,000 were wiped out. After this, Alexander once again marched a little bit further east after the second victory, told his soldiers to camp once again and refortify. With that, he looked over to Parmenio. Not that he had the words in this day, but essentially said to Parmenio, field trip. You can only imagine Parmenio's reaction. What is it now? Some other world problem that we have to solve. And Alexander, with a small force, however, this time it wasn't just him and Parmenio, essentially rode down the eastern half of the Mediterranean Sea sealing up the coast under the Greek name, modern-day Israel, Syria, Jordan, even down to Egypt, who after a small skirmish battle seceded or ceded their forces to Alexander. Just when he was about ready to turn around, he told the soldiers to camp out. Told Parmenio, it's you and I one more time. We've got something to see. And over in the far northwestern section of modern-day Egypt and the country lines as they were back then, Alexander was searching just off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea until he found it. He got off of Bucephalus, his horse, walked over to the edge of the basin and yelled out, Wow, Parmenio, just look at this. Look at it. It's just as incredible. As Aristotle had described, Parmenio, you can only imagine, was trying his outmost to look and find and see what Alexander was looking at. But the problem does that add, there was nothing to see. It was a vast area of absolutely nothing, hence its name, the Katara Depression. The Katara Depression, by and large, has about one inch of rain every 400 years very little, if anything, grows there. It's largely, at this point of the known world at the time, the largest area of nothingness, again, that the, to the extent of human knowledge at the time. And Alexander just couldn't wait to get his eyes on it. Can we only imagine what Parmenio's response would have been? However, after that, Alexander wheeled around on Bucephalus and then headed back up towards the soldiers in Persia. After several weeks, almost two years after the battle at the Isis River, it turned out that Alexander would have the ultimate battle that he would ever face. Because Alexander was told ahead of time that Darius was not attempting to try to keep anything quiet or secret. In order for Alexander to get any further into the Persian Empire, he was going to have to pass an area or through an area called Guagamela or Gagamela, depending upon your pronunciation. Gagamela was a large area that was perfectly flat. Not one tree was visible by the human eye. No rivers, nothing for Alexander to use to his advantage. Again, as Alexander would later recount, Darius was a quick read. Alexander was known to be pulling these aces out of his sleeve. Darius knew that. So he was making his next and possibly last stand against this Alexander with everything that he had. Therefore, there would not be again a river or any other natural object for Alexander to use at his advantage. If Alexander wanted the rest of the Persian Empire, He had to get through Guagamila. From there, on October 31st, October 1st, excuse me, of 331 BC, Alexander was told that he could not go any further. At that point, Alexander was facing the largest army on earth. Depending upon the numbers that you believe, the numbers were anywhere from 200 to 250,000 men. Alexander had less than 50,000. He was now outnumbered five to one. He was outflanked by a mile on each side. Darius was nowhere to be found. So there was no quick advantage like Alexander saw at Isis where Alexander could beeline it for Darius. Uh -uh. Darius was nowhere to be found. What's more, is that, that massive block of soldiers was evenly divided between infantry, foot soldiers, cavalry, soldiers on horses. There was no impenetrable area at Gagamella. There was nowhere that Alexander was going to be able to pull, shall we say, a fast one. Parmenio later wrote that despite the fact that Alexander had the confidence at Granicus and Isis, that Gagamela definitely made him pause. There was no doubt about that. This was a formidable enemy and a formidable number in which Alexander had to fight, again, being outnumbered five to one. While his soldiers were confident in his ability At because of the battle at Granicus and Isis, this was too much even for the most seasoned soldiers, yet not one defected, at least yet. Alexander walked back and forth at a distance, sizing up the Persian army, looking for some kind of kink in the armor, so to speak, and couldn't see anything. Alexander retired to his tent, attempted to draw out various plans, and different ways that he might be able to break through that Persian army. He just couldn't see it. He fussed around a little bit more, drew up some more plans. When he heard Parmenio's scream, away way outside of the tent, but not a scream of pain or fright, a scream of joy, happiness. As Alexander was just about to come outside of his tent, Parmenio rushed in and said, Boss, essentially, we have good news, wonderful news. Look at what Darius, the king of Persia, has sent you and offered you. And with that, Alexander comes out, and most of his high-ranking senior officers gather around in a circle to see the communication that King Darius had sent Alexander. And Alexander read that piece of parchment. And he admitted, this is impressive. It was very impressive. Darius had offered Alexander that every step into the Persian empire that Alexander has already crossed over would now belong to the Greek people. Darius was splitting his empire physically in two. Alexander, essentially, you won in terms of his treasury the amounts of s- silver and gold that he had alexander could physically observe the splitting of that fortune between king darius and king alexander also impressive but here's where alexander's blood curdled the third offer was that any of five of darius's daughters he would be able to take and marriage. That infuriated him. Because Darius and Alexander's thinking had no right to offer up one of his daughters. That went against the grain of Alexander's thinking. Alexander shook his head in the negative negative. As he handed back the parchment, who was then to be handed, which was to be handed back to Darius's two scouts that were waiting on horseback to take the response back to King Darius. Parmenio cut Alexander off, though. Sir, you don't understand. That offer is going to be made. No matter what, at the end of this battle, somebody is getting that offer. And Alexander said, I don't understand. And Darius said, turn the parchment over. Alexander didn't see writing on the other side, and Alexander looked at it. And then, the person screaming with joy and happiness wasn't Parmenio or anybody else. It was nobody but Alexander. He sealed up the piece of parchment and personally walked it over to the scouts on Darius's staff, waiting to go back. And Alexander said, offer refused. The soldiers smiled at one another and turned around and headed back to the Persian camp. Parmenio, looking at Alexander, shaking his head, disgusted, saying, on what, on what grounds do you have to refuse that offer with that threat on the other side? And Alexander said the threat was now the key to his victory. Because on the back of that parchment, Darius wrote that if he, Alexander, does not take this offer and accept it, then any of the two hundred to 250,000 men under King Darius's command, whoever, whichever of those soldiers, whichever one soldier, shows King Darius the severed head of Alexander would get half of the kingdom, half of the riches, and the daughter of his choice. And Alexander said, Darius has just taken his numerical, unbelievable superiority and essentially just pissed it away. Excuse the French. Parmenio looked back and shook his head and could not understand, on what grounds, possibly, are you seeing that there's an advantage? Alexander said, give me one hour. Alexander crawled back into his tent and quickly could be heard from the outside as Alexander was sketching out the battle plans for how the Macedonians, the Greeks, were to fight this next impossibly, final battle, the epic battle Truly of their millennium. Alexander comes out and hands it to Parmenio. Parmenio looks at it, shakes his head. Another look of, you've got to be kidding me. And Parmenio, and Alexander said to Parmenio, I'll see you on the other side of victory. Parmenio said, Sir, maybe not this time. Because if I were you, Alexander, I would have accepted Darius' offer. And Alexander turned back to Parmenio and said, Yeah, and if I were Parmenio, I would have accepted that offer too. But I'm not, because I'm going to get the whole thing. With that, Alexander went back into the tent, blew out the candle, and went to sleep for the night. And Parmenio sent down the orders to the chain of command on what the army was supposed to do by sunrise the next morning. Again, what becomes known as the epic battle of Gagamala is going to be fought out. And it is going to be an epic battle because you have to go long and hard throughout world military history to find two sides of such different numbers attempting to fight one another. How does this battle plan play out? What is on that piece of parchment that Alexander showed Parmenio? Well, I haven't got that far in the history book. So let me go ahead and look into that. And at the next podcast, we'll begin with the epic battle of Gagamela. Thank you for listening. In the next episode, we're going to start out with that battle of Gagamela. And at this point, I can't even tell you what we're going to discuss after that. Because for me to say one more word about what we talk about next is going to give away who won. But in the meantime, when you have some time between now and the next podcast, just draw on a piece of paper a large rectangle, a fairly large rectangle. And if it's five inches long by one inch deep, draw that rectangle and put the word Persian forces in that. And then opposite that rectangle, if you made that rectangle five inches wide or five inches long, make this one one inch long. What did Alexander think? What was he going to do with that small force that was going to give him the odds in order to beat King Darius's massive forces. In the meantime, too, feel free to go to my website, ceconsella.com. Email me with any questions or comments you might have. Feel free also to read some of the latest blogs that I have posted. Between now and then, have a great day, and thanks again for listening.